Good to be with you all this morning. Thanks for uh, choosing here over the fair, at least for a little while this morning. Uh, it's good to be together um, this morning as we embark on a new series together. We're going to be, over the next several weeks, um, looking at various interactions and encounters that people have with Jesus. And I, I think it's vital for us as Christ followers to always not only recall how we first met Christ, but also how we continue to walk with Him. I think it's easy to look at these stories that we will look over the next few weeks and perhaps just think back to that time in our walk with the Lord uh, at that moment, but I believe there are lessons for us as we continue to walk with Him. We all know the older we get and the longer we walk with Christ, we can very easily settle in and, and hit just what's comfortable, what's convenient, what, what kind of works for us. And in the process of that, what we do is we can change who Jesus is, at least in our minds. We can't do that, but we try. Subtitle for this series of Encountering Jesus is Forever Changed. The majesty and the beauty of what we see in these encounters are people who were never the same. I know there are stories abound in this congregation of people who have encountered Jesus and they've never been the same. And it doesn't matter where you come from or how dramatic of a change it was, it is still very supernatural, very majestic as it points to God. Our theme verse for this series that we're actually going to look at each week comes uh, from 2 Corinthians. It's a, it's a passage of Scripture. Uh, those who preach from this platform, you hear all the time. You hear it in classes as we teach. We talk about this passage of Scripture, and I think it captures what we see happening in these encounters. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It'll be on the screen. I'd like you to read it with me, if you would, please. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Key in to the exclamation point. There's heart, there's passion as Paul speaks those words, as Paul always does. But he knows, he knows, not just from a dramatic conversion, but he knows what it has done to change his life. But every story that we read, every story represented in you all, is significant in the kingdom of God. Some of you are going to spend time today as well as in this series, and you are going to think back to those moments when you first understood who Christ was and you committed to Him. Others of you are sitting here today. There will be some who gather in the weeks ahead, and they're going to ask themselves that question, have I really committed to Jesus? Have I really committed to following Him? What is this encountering thing so much about? My challenge to us is to, to, to look at anew this understanding of Jesus. Not that we've believed it all wrong, but that we need to understand in greater clarity more than ever. The responsibility for those of us who have followed Jesus for any time at all, the responsibility is greater. We have been trusted with who Christ is, and we are called to share that and preach that, whether you have a platform or a pulpit or interactions with people on a day-to-day -day basis. It's all the same. 
As we look at the first story today, we're going to see a man who approached Jesus. But we're going to look at some stories down the road These encounters, and I'll I'll confess to you, I chose the word encounter, and the more I looked at it, I don't know that's the best choice. But then as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I think it is, because an encounter often is described as something where there is a bit of unexpectedness. There is a bit of even tension and struggle, okay? Like coming upon a skunk when you're walking in the woods, okay? That is an encounter you don't want to have. But the more I thought about it, We often define ahead of times in our minds, perhaps, what meeting Jesus is like. And he always surprises us, not because he changes, not because his truth changes, because he is the Word of God, but because of our biases, because of who we are, what we walk through. So we're going to look at the man with leprosy. We're going to look at this encounter in Matthew 8. And I want us to very keenly look at who this man was and how Jesus responded. Pray with me, if you would, please. Father, as we open your word today, teach us, challenge us, grow us in your word. Lord, we're not looking for new truth. Your truth has been there always. But we're looking for greater understanding. We're looking for a new perspective, Lord. We've never been at this point in our lives reading this story. And so, Lord, use that. And may your kingdom grow because of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Matthew 8, verse 1. All of the story, most of the stories we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks are found in more than one of the gospel accounts. And as we'll look at, is those gospel accounts are given um, and written to specific audiences. Sometimes people look and say, well, it's different, so it must not be true. Because Mark wrote it in Mark 1 a little differently than Matthew wrote it in Matthew 8. What we know about Scripture is that those particular authors, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have written to a specific audience and want to emphasize and pull out various truths. But the underlying principle and truth of the story, it's a story that has been recorded, has been carried orally for a lot of years before recorded in Scripture. It is the Word of God. So let's look at Matthew 8, his account of Jesus healing a man with leprosy. Verse 1 of chapter 8 of Matthew. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Uh, This is the first interaction of a difference, is that Matthew records this encounter after teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. If you go into some of the other accounts, what you will see, Luke especially, doesn't necessarily place it there. There's a few things we have to remember about why that's important, and I'll talk about it in a minute. But Matthew records it as Jesus has come down from the mountainside. Verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This context of this story, what's helpful to understand is that while the chronology, the, the, the chronology is different in the accounts, 
of the various authors is that there is an understanding of what's going on here, and that is that Jesus has been moving throughout the region and doing ministry. Matthew 3.23 talks about Jesus. It says, Throughout Galilee, that is he traveling, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Here's what's important about for us this as we read the story. Jesus was already known. It was early in his ministry, his three-year earthly ministry, but he was already known. And word was getting out. This is um, very much a height of Jesus' popularity. Most what he is saying now, people are drawing toward. They are running after as they also see the miracles that he is, um, he, he is completing. And so he is a rock star right now. He is one that people are running to. That's going to change. We know that. And the interesting thing about wherever you place the Sermon on the Mount, the conclusion at the Sermon on the Mount, as he spent those multiple uh, days together with people teaching, is that after that, people stand back in awe and say, he is a man of authority. He teaches with authority. He's unlike the other teachers. And that's crucial because as we get a focus in with a telescope on this setting with the man with leprosy, we see that he does everything with authority from God. So let's take a look. One of the first observations that I think is important in, in looking at this man is the reality that he came. And you're like, wow, that's deep, Dan. But look at what it says. A man with, what's it say? Leprosy. Now, the Greek word here has to do with perhaps other skin diseases, but uh, many commentators agree that this is a serious thing. Leprosy was a disease that impacted people greatly. It was something that put them out. So what we see for the man that came with leprosy, the very, leprosy, the very fact that he came to Jesus was a demonstration of his courage. His courage. Lepers were thought to be not only um, sick with disease, but ceremonially unclean, according to the law of Moses. And so there are a couple of things. Because there was no cure for leprosy, what happened was is that through the law and through the religious communities, there were ways they dealt with socially and religiously, lepers. They weren't allowed to be around where most people hung out, in the towns and villages. You can hang out with other people like your kind elsewhere. And so they were cast out into rural habitations, and they had to exist and live as clus in clusters. So all the normal, everyday things that people of this culture experience, lepers did not. And they weren't just told they were not able to be there, whenever they were present, they would have to come into any place where people were at, and they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. So imagine a man who wants to see Jesus walking into a crowd, the people around, this is their new rock star that has been lifted up, and they are gathered around him. They cannot get enough of him at this point. They want more of him because he can help them, even if in their own selfish needs, they want more of Jesus at this point. 
And so imagine, in the midst of that, people gathered around. A man walks in, and immediately he's yelling, Unclean! Unclean! The people part and scatter. Babies start crying because moms are screaming, Leper! And in the midst of that is this man who demonstrates a courage I think we would all just like a little bit of. It's that majestic. It's that astonishing. He's not a normal Joe just walking in saying, hey Jesus. No, he's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be anywhere where there's other people unless they're lepers like him. And so imagine the risk. Imagine the risk that he took in exercising whatever amount of faith he had. It was worth it all. He was so desperate. He was so desperate. Here's my question. Are we that desperate? Are you that desperate to come to Jesus? And again, I know what some of you may be thinking, hey, I already came to Jesus. I've, I've been with Jesus for 30 years, or I've been with Jesus for 10 years. No, are you really in, still in your state as a human? Are you willing to take anything to Jesus? Are you willing to work with, no matter what social barriers, what things in your past that still come back and eat at you, even though you have been forgiven? Are you willing to risk it all knowing that you go to one who can take care of it all? Christ followers, we cannot be a people of God represented in this church or any other church that don't have courage to go when everybody else says, no, just rely on yourself. It's not about bringing Jesus along with you. It's about approaching him with the courage, taking the risk. Similar to Daniel, once the decree was made in the the records of Daniel in the Bible and said, you are not allowed to pray. We all know Daniel was set up. We know somebody wanted to see him dead. But that risk, not only did Daniel continue to pray, Daniel sat in front of his window visibly. Now, if somebody looks and says, oh, I love the rebel in him. He wouldn't be a rebel. He was risking his life. That's the kind of courage we need in being a Christ follower. My question is, how might God be calling you to be courageous in your faith? No matter how comfortable it's been. No, I'm not talking about substituting courage for a religious activity. You see, that's what we're learning in this story. I'm talking about you and Jesus. You and Jesus. The other thing we see demonstrated by this man is a reverence. He demonstrated, he came with a reverence despite the fact that he felt so unworthy. I mean, can you imagine if it wasn't bad enough coming into that crowd and everyone screaming, hollering, moving back, whatever the scene was, we don't have all the details, but if it was true to what happened in culture, it's not hard to develop those connections. But yet he came with reverence. Now I want to talk about reverence for a minute because reverence is a word that isn't a very contemporary word. We don't use it a lot. I know some of you that have followed Jesus for many, many decades, I know you remember a time where reverence was a word that was spoken of a lot. We've lost it. 
Reverence, reverence simply is respect, adoration, worship. I know our hearts are to always be reverent toward God, toward Jesus, not only when we gather, but at all times. And I think that's what's significant here is we often think of reverent when we walk into a church facility, particularly if it's not like this building, but it's, it's very churchy looking from traditional church structures. We think of reverence. What that does not mean is stagnance. What that does not mean is lifeless or meaningless or ritualistic. No, what it means is absolute humility before God a humbleness because you are in the presence of the king. We saw that in this man. Look at his posture. What does it say? It says he knelt. If you look at Mark's account, he talked about in the NIV, begged him on his knees. Luke's account in Luke 5 says he fell with his face to the ground. So imagine that scene is that there's already chaos happening because this man has come into this. And now he's here. And what does he have? He's got the audacity to bow before Jesus as if he could know Jesus. It wasn't for show. It wasn't try to pull one over on Jesus. It was out of reverence. It was out of his desire to approach Jesus the way we should always approach Jesus, no matter how long you've known him. And I think that that's the challenge for us who are Christ followers and have been Christ followers is that out of sometimes almost this buddy-like relationship with Jesus is that we lose reverence. We, we approach him as any other friend. He is a friend of sinners, He is our friend, but he's not like any other friend. And so we must be careful. We must be intentional because we see in our actions whether we demonstrate reverence. The other thing here that we see are his words, or we hear, I should say, but we see in the text, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 2. Notice this is not a demand. None of us would ever admit that we demand Jesus of things. But let's just be frank. We do. Scripture tells us to do that. Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be opened, right? In fact, Jesus just talked about that in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But there is a way that happens that is still reverent. He risked everything, and yet he says, Lord, if you're willing... He doesn't say, if you can do it. He says, if you will. Speaks a lot to where the man is at. He felt worthless. He felt like he had no value whatsoever. I imagine every one of us have been able to identify, whether now or at some point in the past or future. In fact, his his, his statement was almost like, if you could find any worth in me that you could potentially heal me, that you'd find enough worth. There's a humility in that, that he recognized his need, which is always important in approaching Jesus, and recognizing Jesus' ability to meet that need, no matter what. 
but he just says if you're willing. There's another nuance of this that I think is important is that there are times in our lives where we have served and sacrificed and given to Jesus everything that we have. And I'm going to speak for myself. There have been days, many times in my walk, walk with Christ, where even though I haven't said it, I've felt it, I've believed it, is that, you know what? Jesus, I really have been sacrificing a lot lately. Remember this I did, and remember all of that I did, and man, that was hard to go through that. And Jesus, how about you, how about you extend me a favor now? Again, Scripture is very clear about God's blessings and favor to those who are obedient to Him and follow Him. But we better be very, very careful about ever approaching Jesus thinking for just a moment that we have earned it or that we deserve it. It doesn't mean we walk around in lowliness and, and with no victory in Jesus. No, what it means is that we know in every moment that He is the one who gave us victory, not ourselves. You see, that reverence in this statement by leprosy said, whatever your will. I know there have been many in this congregation over the years. They've prayed for healing. They have approached Jesus in the right mind with courage and reverence. And for some reason beyond our understanding, but within God's wisdom and understanding, what happened is Jesus said, no. And what the leper demonstrates is that he's okay with that. He didn't demand it. He said, whatever your will is. Now, you know what he wanted. Who wouldn't want to be healed from leprosy? Because it was bigger than just the disease. So my question for us is, how do we demonstrate reverence before Jesus Christ? Is it only represented by a certain song we sing or the space we're in or the people we're with? How do you walk with Jesus in reverence day after day in the normalist most ordinary activities. There's victory in that. Because you recognize your brokenness. You recognize that Jesus is the sole one who's been able to change you. Nobody else. Now, here's what I wonder. I've asked myself this question. If Jesus did nothing else besides what's about to happen, would he still be everything we believe him to be. You see, he responded in a couple of very distinct ways. Look in verse 3 with me. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now remember here, this is a guy with leprosy. And the very act of not jumping back, screaming unclean along with him, but actually staying put and then extending out and touching the man. You see, Jesus met him right where he was at, personally. He's done that with many of us, right? 
He's understood all of the details, all of the circumstances, all of the emotion, all the pain, all the hurt, all the everything that no one else seems to understand. But here's what I love about being a Christ follower. No matter whether anybody identifies with me, I have a Lord and Savior who knows me. He knows what I'm going through. And I can cry foul with everybody else in this world. It doesn't matter because I only need one. And the joy is, is I get to walk with many knowing that we're all looking to the one. His love, His compassion, His mercy. So all of those feelings of worthlessness, Jesus in one action of not jumping back, not screaming, and laying His hand says, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth every bit. I wonder if that would be enough for us. Because touching that man instantly communicated to everybody because of the law of Moses is that you are now defiled. You are now unclean. You're probably going to get leprosy, but that doesn't matter. You touched him. Think about the risk that Jesus took. His ministry's growing. He's, he's building popularity. Jesus didn't care because he was going for a greater good. And the greater good was not what those people thought of him right now. The greater good was that he was going to demonstrate the power of God right then. And he did. And he says, I will. Jesus says to you, I will. Jesus says to the prostitute, the hooker on the corner, I will. Here's the question, church. Are we willing to stand with the prostitutes on the corner? Because that's essentially what Jesus just did. He touched that man and associated himself with him. Are we willing to do the same in order that Christ might be glorified and those people are forever changed for his kingdom? I hope. Sometimes I wonder, though. Sometimes I wonder about myself. Am I really willing to do it? It sounds, it preaches well, and boy, that's, that, it sounds exciting. But I doubt sometimes. Which means why I have to go back to Jesus. Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The reason that I can stand, you will be able to stand, any of us will be able to stand next to one that is so unclean is not because of any goodness in us. It is the goodness instilled, given to us through Christ's sacrifice. You know, it's easy to think, and this story blows this up, and it's what I love about it. It's easy to think of Jesus running the mass assembly line. It's kind of like the huge assembly of people, and hey, come up and be healed, and it's boom, 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 boom. They're falling like flies. Healing's taking place all over the thing. You know the reason I don't like that? And I'm not underestimating, I'm not denying that God does healings in those cases. But what I don't think it represents is Jesus' personal meeting with every person he heals. If we want to share Christ with people, we have to be able to share life with them in very personal ways, very caring ways, very uncomfortable ways. You all know the barriers for that in this culture. Not only that we place on ourselves, that people place on us. The church has a label. We have label for people not in the church, right? 
Lots of labels. Let's personally meet with people. That's what Jesus did, and it taught us much. It taught the people there much. And then the last part here, I think, is what we all go to when we read a story like this. The man was healed. And he wasn't just kind of healed. He wasn't healed a little bit of a time later. Boom! Instantaneously, the supernatural, divine power of Jesus was demonstrated right there, and he was healed. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Oh, somebody must have been doing it. It's hard to believe, but he did it. And it communicated more, though, than just taking care of a little disease. Leprosy, unlike being paralyzed, defiled to the innermost part of a person. He did not heal, he cleansed. He cleansed. It's kind of the difference between taking a pill to cover up and mask your pain versus having surgery so that you get to the root of the pain and the pain is now gone. That's the difference. I don't want pills. I need Jesus to get to the heart of my pain and hurt. The man could have walked away, and he knew there were bigger implications here. He knew that if he was no longer a leper, that all of a sudden now he doesn't have to hang out out there. He can come and be with all of the people, the normal people, so to say. But Jesus has done something here as we look deeper. Jesus is not going to let him off the hook and just say, you know what, you've got some social benefits back coming to you. No. He goes and really illustrates leprosy here as sin. Think about this in our own life. Leprosy is an illustration of sin here. Sin is deeper than the skin, just like leprosy. Sin spreads, just like leprosy. Sin defiles and isolates us, just like leprosy. And sin is fit only to be destroyed by the fire. And that's what most people thought those people would get. And so all of a sudden... This guy who claims to be divine comes in and in the, in the instant moment where he is defiled by touching him, he cleanses him and heals him. It is remarkable how that describes what happens there. Everything that defiles you has ever have will and anybody else on this earth, Jesus took it. And on that cross, he was defiled, but then he cleansed it all. Every part of it, every part of it, he cleansed it. And so the leper teaches us something much broader about the ability of who Jesus is, the person who Jesus is. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become, what's it say? The righteousness of God. The leper knew that he was going to have social and religious privileges back in the community. He had no idea what Jesus really was doing in him, and that was making him right with God. I think that's true of most of us when we accept Christ, when we encounter Christ. We think about things that get better, but ultimately it's a cleansing of our soul and our heart. It's, it's, 
It's kind of like David crying out in Psalm 51.2 on the screen. And he just says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's not a one-time thing. He was forever changed. He got a whole lot more from Jesus than he ever thought he would. But he took a risk. He approached him in the right way. And here's the deeper lesson for us is that often we go to Jesus with the temporal. Heal me. Heal this part of me. And Jesus sometimes in his wisdom says no. But the gifts available that are eternal and spiritual, Jesus always says yes. Jesus may very well have said to the leper, I'm not going to heal your leprosy, but I'm going to give you peace. I'm not going to to, uh, change this part of your life, but I am going to give you grace. I'm going to extend mercy. I'm going to extend compassion. Don't ever, church, confuse those two. Don't ever think that Jesus, because he may not heal physically, that he doesn't want to heal spiritually. Those eternal spiritual gifts are not a consolation prize. They are the prize by knowing Jesus. Let me share one last thing with you. This final statement, I wanted the end of the sermon there. And I thought, okay, I cannot do this because I read this last statement and it kind of just, it's kind of like, okay, what is this about? Things were going really well. You healed them. Why can't we just kind of go on? Well, if you read in Mark 1, what it records is that Jesus gives these instructions and then the leper actually doesn't follow along. And you're like, okay, what's that all about? Especially because wouldn't we want to be excited about the fact that we've just been cleansed? That all of, all of the things have come back to us that we thought a normal life would be about. But it's very significant to understand that these instructions were for a reason. I want you to look at two words. It says, Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go. The idea of the Greek here is to understand go as, um, don't make a fuss. Be quiet about it. Don't go notice. Don't go screaming and hollering, but go. Okay, where is he supposed to go? Well, we, we read in the rest of the verse, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See, Jesus wasn't concerned about popularity. He wasn't concerned um, uh, about, about being um, well-known. But what he was concerned about was disrupting his mission. And what he wanted to make sure was that people recognized that there were no tricks, there was no magic, this was, this was divine power from God through Jesus. And he had disciples that he was not done training. They were in the early stages. And so if this man starts creating a whole lot of ruckus, what happens is that he is going to to spare his own life, have to be back and away. And so he just says, go to the priest. So why the priest? The priest in the community was a person who declared people clean. And Jesus didn't want a bias. 
because he knew that if people went and said, hey, um, Jesus did this, the priest, if out, of, if out of spite more than nothing else, would have tried to break things up. And he said, just go and show him. Because the priest has to declare. You see, Jesus, as we know in Sermon on the Mount, is that he wants to fulfill the law. He doesn't want to abolish it. He wants to help us understand the law to the completest, fullest of forms. And he wanted that leper to be declared clean by the priest because then the testimony of what Jesus has just done. But here's the ultimate important piece for us, I believe. It's a witness. Every change in every life is a witness to God's power through Jesus Christ. It says Jesus is not just a wonder worker. Jesus is, is not just interested in feeling, healing physical needs, but spiritual and eternal needs. It says that as a witness, Jesus provides his life, his death, and his resurrection as the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, to bring more change in people. Every time God does a work in you, it's not just for you. No matter how painful, no matter how dramatic, no matter how personal, no matter how much other people don't know and understand, God's purpose, and we see it with the leper, is that he intends, through Jesus, to bring more change, to make more people right with God. If that doesn't humble you, I'm not sure what will. You mean he wants my life to be a testimony to build the kingdom of God? Yes. And believe it or not, there's no program or ministry that's leading the way. It's Jesus working in you. It's you approaching Jesus with courage. It's you approaching with reverence. It's you allowing the will of God to work in your life. And what I can tell you, church, is that God will use you in a mighty way as he did the leper. Let's pray. Father, change is hard. Some change we invite because we see immediately the benefits of that and we see our desperation. But Lord, we don't want to ever be people that, that stop seeking your change in us. Because we know in that we become more like you, Jesus. That's what we want. Father, I pray that for each of us, we would have a bit of the leper in us. Courage and reverence to meet Jesus personally and powerfully. Because he'll always say yes. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.